0: The Mets, meet the Mets, step right up and
1: greet the Mets, bring your kiddies, bring your wife, guaranteed. Hey guys, welcome to episode four of the Fresh Out the Deli podcast. I'm Nick Sicali, founder of Fresh Out the Deli, and on today's episode, part two of my conversation with my good friend Troy prover who works as a beat writer for the New York Mets Major League Baseball. So let's just get right into it, and I hope you enjoy all right, so Troy, what is your official title with MLB?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm an uh, officially it's associate reporter. Um, so I'm basically the second beat writer for the team. Um, whenever you know, whenever the Mets are in town, um, so. And, and lately, I've basically been doing a lot of the first beat writer work because the uh, lead writer, Anthony DiComo he's been on vacation. So it's been really exciting these uh, last couple of days. It kind of just take
1: me through your daily routine. I know you don't work every day because you're an intern and you don't usually work when they're on the road. But kind of when there, when there's a home game that day, what's your daily routine look like? What are you doing?
0: Yeah, it's... a uh, It's crazy. Um, baseball is such a like a it's such a all day thing to cover. So uh basically I leave my place at two PM. Uh for a seven o'clock game is basically when they play the most, so that's what I base it on. Um get there at around two thirty. Clubhouse opens at three ten, so you go in there, all the guys are kinda hanging out. You talk to whoever you want. Terry Collins talks at four, uh, to the media before the game. Then after that, whatever they said, if there's anything important, you go up, you write it. Um, Have a nice dinner. Um, Nine bucks. Can't (laughs) ever argue about that. It's always good. Um, Stadium food or better than stadium food? Oh, much better than stadium food. And I get to expense it. So I'm basically eating really good food for free. You can never complain about that. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, And then game starts, you know, cover a game just like you ever would. And then you head back down. Clubhouse is open again. Terry talks again, and uh, you usually wrap up at around one o'clock in the morning. Go to sleep, wake up, and start it all over again. How many people are up there in the press box with you?
1: I'm guessing it's just you're with in the main media press box where you know ESPN would have their
0: person covering it. Yeah, Adam Rubin sits in the seat below me for ESPN. I'd say there's like thirty guys. If I had to give an estimate, um, which is actually a lot less than I figured it would be for the New York media, Mm -hmm. but um, some days, like I remember a few weeks ago when when Matt Harvey was having that terrible stretch and um, he had that really good start to kind of break out of it, that media scrum was insane. I felt like there were a hundred people surrounding Matt Harvey. I kind of got lost and jammed in there. I'm pretty sure my feet weren't touching the ground. I was just kind of levitating in the huddle. That was wild. The media, the media scrum can get pretty uh, wild sometimes, but um, for, for the most part, it really isn't as bad as I thought it would be here in New York. Was that Harvey game
1: the most attention you've seen, or was it more or busier in terms of media presence when the Dodgers were in town and Kershaw was pitching? Uh,
0: that Harvey game was pretty big, but um, yeah, and I think any time you have ESPN, Sunday Night Baseball, um, that same weekend Julio Urias uh, made his debut that was a that was a crazy weekend too, but I think it was more crazy on the Dodgers' sides of things. So I would say, on the Mets' perspective, that Harvey start was uh, probably the most uh, spotlight that 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 the Mets have had this season.
1: Where are you living right now exactly? Uh, you, you've got an apartment in New York City, right? Yeah, in Queens, uh, Jackson Heights. You'd been to New York a handful of times before, right? Just like on yeah. like brief vacations.
0: Yeah, a few trips. Uh, I've probably been here maybe two weeks in my entire life prior to this. City life is pretty awesome. I, I say I love it, but I could never live here. Um, it's way too busy. Too many people, and it's 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 crazy and it's fun and every day is something new and you know all of that. But um, I, I I like cities, just not cities this big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you picked the biggest city in the country to kind of
1: go and explore, but I, I can't. You never really lived in a a big city
0: like that before so it's gonna be a pretty cool experience yeah i mean it's a it's a whole lot of fun um food here is so good um and and really it's it is such a huge city when i was picking cities to intern in i figured why not try and try and get the biggest city you can um most exposure most kind of people m- most set of eyes looking at my name um, i figured there's no way that could hurt and so far it hasn't so um i'm honored to be here Last summer,
1: you interned with MLB also, and Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken, you did pretty much – you had the same role but with the Rays in Tampa. Yes. So what's kind of been – have there been noticeable differences between when you lived in Tampa and you lived in New York and kind of not only your lifestyle but the way the teams act because Tampa is one of the smallest markets – in the league yeah. and they don't have a big turnout and you go from one of the smallest markets to possibly the biggest market in the league in new york
0: yeah uh the simple answer to that is everything is different <laughs> um you know in tampa you could they, they did so many things with their roster and they did so many things and all these analytics and you know i thought i always thought you know some of that was really questionable but nobody cared because there are 6,000 people showing up to your stadium. If you play bad, nobody boos. They just leave. In New York, every little aspect is amplified and it's nitpicked. And they, I mean, they, over this course of stretch where the Mets haven't played well, they've booed every game. They've let them hear it. Everything means something, even though we're sitting here and it's in June. Everything, everything is taken to the highest level. And um, it's something that's really been, you're right, you know, over the last two summers, I've gotten to see two completely different environments. And it's been something that's really been interesting for me to kind of study and, uh, you know, look at.
1: Yeah, I didn't, you mentioned it. I hadn't really even thought of that aspect of it, but that uh, you can get a sabermetric based and a manager that might be able, willing to take more risks or kind of experiment like that. In a smaller market, because you have 900 fans there instead of 20,000, in like a given day, maybe that's why bigger markets like that tend to go with veteran managers like uh, Terry Collins, as opposed to a young rookie manager. Last year, like you saw with Kevin Cash.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that can be a part of it, but I also just think that you know, a veteran manager and a guy who's been in baseball for so long, like Terry, you know, listening to him talk, his experiences. When he got here to New York, he was prepared. He was ready, Um, and I think that's something that's important in a huge market like this. A guy like Kevin Cash, I I think, and I like Kevin a lot, good guy. I think he is a really good manager. I think he would have success in a big market, but the risk is is that they get torn apart in this city, that maybe they couldn't handle the pressures of being here and every game mattering, even though they don't always matter. But Terry, um, he's been around baseball for a really long time. and He's been <laughs> to a lot of places. And so this isn't new to him. And he's always prepared for whatever fans, critics want to throw at him. Do you have a, any sort of rapport with any of the
1: players or the managers on the team this year? Uh, is there anybody that kind of connects you and jokes around with you? Or is it kind of a strictly professional relationship?
0: You know, I've only been here in New York now for maybe, you know, a, a little less than a month at this point. So I haven't really gotten to that point yet. Um, there are guys I'm comfortable around. You know, the Mets have three guys who played in Tampa last year: Dribble Cabrera, Rene Rivera, and James Loney, that I'm comfortable around that I think, you know, they remember me from last year. So we have that kind of familiarity, and that's nice. But in terms of other guys, um, I think eventually if you cover a team long enough, you always get to that kind of level. But as of right now, you know, I've only been here for a month, so it's kind of, I'm still kind of getting my feet wet. Right. And so, did you have
1: so you did have players like that on the Rays last year that you kind of had a little better of a relationship with than uh, some of the others?
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, Steven Souza Jr. was a guy I always liked talking to. Um, you know, the way he thought about baseball and the way he was always willing to um, talk, even after bad games, um, somebody I really respected. Um, and he was just you know before the game, he was always a fun guy to kind of talk baseball with or just talk. You know anything with um, he's a pretty funny guy so he was somebody that I always kind of like talking to last year
1: I remember that one game where you sent us the clip of him hitting BP last summer and you said that it was the farthest ball you've ever seen a human hit yeah <laughs> you just yeah. like sent us a video in the middle of it in the middle of the day like in July and you're like this ball was <laughs> like,
0: absolutely crushed yeah he was a, a strong man he's got a lot of power potential but um he's a good guy do you have any players that you have a bad relationship with? Um, I wouldn't say bad relationship. Um, you don't have to give specifics if you don't want to. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I wouldn't say bad relationship. I, I try to always keep you know my reporting in a way that I'm always going to write the good and the bad. Um, and that's something that I think a player should respect is that I'm never just going to come after you and attack you because I don't like you. I want to give people, you know, their praise when they perform well, and you know, when they don't, you you deserve to, you know, be talked about. The best thing you can do is bounce back and show that that was a, you know, one time thing. Um, But there are guys that um, I necessarily didn't like, or um, I didn't like the way they went about their job um, and their um, responsibilities and their interactions to the media. Um, there are guys like that that I I didn't like. uh, I don't want to name names because I don't want people to, you know, get the wrong (laughs) impression of people. But there are guys like that who who probably think, you know, they're a little bit entitled or, you know, deserve more than they deserve. I think
1: as another member of the media, I mean, I have a completely different job than you. I work in a very small town for a newspaper. We're weekly and we interact with the same people over and over again because in a town of... 5,000, it's hard to get more than like three people that are knowledgeable about a certain topic. So if you have, you know, a story about farming, you have your three sources of farming that you talk to every time. But I think everybody in the media, it's not that you dislike or like somebody, but there are people, you don't dislike or like them because they're good or bad people. You dislike or like them because they give you good things to work with or not for your stories. Like you could, somebody could be the nicest person in the world, but if every time you interview them, they give you absolute crap answers and they don't tell you truthful things or they're just bullshitting you the whole time, you don't mm-hmm. respect, you start disrespect, like just not respecting them in your head. And the same thing goes with somebody who gives you great quotes. They could be an asshole in real life, but if every time you talk to them, they give you something you could work with and they talk to you and they're willing to talk, you tend to give them more coverage. And in your mind you tend to like them more because at the end of the day, your job is what you're there to do. And you're not there yeah. to really make a relationship with somebody. You're there to
0: inform people of uh, something that they might want to know. Yeah. I think, you know, for some guys uh, it even goes beyond good and bad quote. It's just the way you treat people in the media. Um, you know, I, I always try to be respectful of a player um, and I feel like, in that that I deserve to have that same respect shown back to me. And there are guys who just don't want to show that respect back. Or there are some players who just feel like our job isn't important. I think that's unfair. There are a lot of guys who probably think that they could do this job or, um, you know, stuff like that. Those people are the people that kind of irk me the wrong way.
1: What's the uh, craziest thing you've seen in a game since you've been covering uh, stuff?
0: <laughs> um, I've been... Well, before MLB.com, I covered uh, Tennessee where I went to school. Um, so I've seen a lot of crazy stuff there. But um, if you want to talk baseball.
1: Well, you um, can, you could do either if you want to go back all the way to the Tennessee
0: day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I still think one of the craziest things I've ever seen is uh, last year, my first day in Tampa, uh, Yankees Rays. I don't even remember who hit the ball, but I know that it hit the catwalk at the Trop. And somehow Didi Gregorius still caught it. Like, he was ranging back. It hit the catwalk, and he was able to reverse field and catch it. That's still one of the craziest things I've ever seen in a game. Just to have the instinct to do that um, was really impressive to me.
1: Especially on your first day when you don't really know (laughs) firsthand yet how how the catwalks really play. Did you see a lot of balls hit off the catwalk, or was that a pretty rare occurrence? I saw four
0: balls hit off the catwalk, uh, two for home runs, and two for outs.
1: Do you notice differences... Uh, when you're watching games live compared to watching things on television? Because I know you, first and fo- foremost, you're a fan, and you watch a lot of stuff on MLB TV. And growing up, you would watch baseball on TV. And now you're spending a lot of time in stadiums and seeing live mm-hmm. games. Uh, what's kind of the, the main differences that you notice covering something live and uh, watching something on TV?
0: Obviously, uh, you know, when I'm covering a game live, um, I'm trying to do, you know, I'm on Twitter. And I'm trying to uh, describe to people who probably can't be at the game or see the game what's happening. Um, and so sometimes, uh, you know, your focus is diverted and you maybe miss something um, that you otherwise would have seen on TV. But at the same time, uh, TV doesn't show that whole landscape of a field. Um, it's very focused on what's going on. And so when you're at a game live and you're covering a game, there are so and baseball is such a special game where there are so many intricacies to the game and to be able to see plays unfold and how they work out um understand why things happened is really to me what i think makes beautiful baseball such a beautiful game
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um and i think you get to see that perspective easier when you're covering a game live as opposed to watching it on tv what are a couple of the biggest takeaways you've had just about the sport and how it's played and things like that? In all honesty, the biggest takeaway I always have anytime I you know walk away from a game is baseball is so weird. Um, <laughs> it, it's just a strange game, and you never know how it's going to play out. And so I always laugh when, like people tweet at me and say, why did he do this? Why did he do that? You don't know that the other option was any better. And to me, that's always been something that's really interesting to me about baseball is, um, that it is a game that truly, truly, um, has so many various outcomes and so many different ways to approach the game that I don't know that there's any person who can really, truly be an expert on baseball. Um, you know, they're obviously experts in baseball. I understand that, but, um, the game is constantly evolving, whether people want to admit it or not, mm-hmm. um, And, um, there's so much going on that, um, there's always a story to tell and there's always something, you know, that you can point out and, um, say, well, this could have gone to happen, but you just never know. Um, and that's my biggest thing about baseball is that it's a a beautiful game that you never know what's going to happen. It makes a lot of sense.
1: Uh, (laughs) It does. Uh, Is there anybody that in your job the last two years, anybody in the media that you've met that you really enjoyed meeting or somebody that you've kind of looked up to before you got the job that you met them in person and you were able to have a conversation with them and you know it was just kind of like a cool
0: moment? Oh, yeah, I've gotten to meet, uh, countless, uh, people. Um, in Tampa last year, um, Uh, A guy named Roger Mooney, who used to work for the Tampa Tribune. Uh, Their paper went under, but um, a tremendous guy. Um, It was always a blast to uh, be around, and he really helped me um, learn so much about the Rays and um, helped me kind of get on my feet quickly there. Uh, He accepted me from day one, and it made that transition to covering Major League Baseball for the first time so much easier. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, Thank him for all of that and respect him for that. But um, in terms of guys that I grew up idolizing, um, I'll never forget uh, last year, Boston came to Tampa, and um, I'm a big Red Sox fan. So, my entire life, I've read Gordon Ed's uh, for ESPN and Boston Globe, and um, Gordon made the trip to Tampa, and I actually was covering Boston that weekend because the uh, MLB.com reporter couldn't make it to Tampa. So, I kind of got to talk to Gordon um, after a game one day. He walked me out of the stadium. We talked like 25 minutes. Um, it's still uh, the coolest thing that's ever happened to me in journalism. You know, to, to be able to talk to a guy that you grew up reading, and you know, him being one of the guys that made me want to do this, um, that was incredible. That's still one of the coolest moments of my life to uh, get to do that.
1: <laughs> that's really awesome. Did Did you get an opportunity to talk to any of the players on Boston when you were covering a? Tampa, kind of like the players that you would idolize growing up?
0: I did. Pedroia was hurt that series. Dustin Pedroia is my favorite player um, in all sports, so that was kind of disappointing. I talked to Mike Napoli because he got ejected from a game for arguing <laughs> balls and strikes.
1: Um, of co- I'm sure it was actually a strike.
0: He was pretty animated that day. And I actually uh, talked to David Ortiz, who obviously, if you're a Boston fan, uh, that's that's a guy that you uh, love. He, uh... <laughs> gave me the most interesting answer I've ever heard ever <laughs> ever you know Chris Archer's a really good pitcher in Tampa and uh for some reason though, David Ortiz just lights Archer up and they and, hate uh, each
1: other
0: <laughs> yeah he just lights Archer up and so I just asked him is there any reason why uh you know you think you hit Chris Archer so well and David just smiled and he looked at me and he said cause I'm a bad motherfucker too <laughs> um Greatest answer I've ever gotten from any question I've ever asked. Um, that's probably easily top five journalism moments of all time right there.
1: That's like a, the perfect David Ortiz <laughs> quote, too. Yeah. He, he likes throwing the F bombs around. <laughs> and you could just picture him saying that in his accent and like being all smiley and happy.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, very entertaining.
1: And did you ever cover high school baseball when you were in Tennessee?
0: I did. Yeah. <laughs>
1: How different was writing game recaps for the high school compared to writing game recaps for college and writing game recaps kind of for MLB like you are now?
0: You know, at the major league level, all of these guys, they've been through you know, obviously they've been talked to so many times. They were the best high school athletes. Um, they were really good in college. They were really good in the minors and they're, whether they're performing good or not in the majors, they're still really good baseball players. Um, so they know how to um, talk to the media. Um, they know what to say and what not to say. Rarely do you ever get a guy who says something way out of the blue um, mm-hmm. or you know, fires at somebody unless it's just a real raw emotional moment. But at the high school level, those are kids who, for the most part, never get talked to. You know, they never get exposure. So you either get one of two ways. You either get the kid who has no idea how to talk and he gives you four or five word answers and he's basically useless, or you get the kid who is really entertaining and he uh, um, is really excited about the moment to be talking to the media and uh, takes advantage of it. And um, that's something I kind of miss is just that kind of conversational attitude that high school kids have
1: it's interesting because when i cover high school sports we always talk to the coaches after every game we talk to the coaches we get comments from them but a lot of times we keep the kids out of it and i always feel like that's kind of unfortunate because once you start connecting to the kids and the athletes that you're covering it makes the games a lot more enjoyable once you kind of learn the personalities of the kids and the coaches you know when your favorite kid hits a three-pointer or hits a home run or a double you get really really pumped up and it's hard not to root for the team
0: to win yeah i mean i kind of have a personal rule about covering high school i'm 100 percent okay with talking to the kid about a good moment you know if he wants to talk about his you know how he you know helped the team win and stuff like that i'm mm-hmm. more than okay with that i don't want to i'm, I'm never going to attack an 18 year old kid i'll save the hard questions for coach he can answer them I don't, I, don't, I don't feel it's right to attack a 16-, 17-, or 18-year-old kid for a mistake he made.
1: Where I work, it's such a small community, and everybody knows everyone, and everyone knows every, whose kid you're talking about if you write something in the story. So I have to be really careful about saying pretty much anything negative about someone because mm-hmm. if I write something negative because, like, let's say the second baseman on the team had this terrible error where they bobbled the ball it was an easy grounder they then they throw it away it cost the, the the game because two runs for if I write it like I have parents kind of call me and come up to me and say like you know I felt like you really harshly criticized Jonathan there I, I felt like it really wasn't his fault and you kind of pinned the game on him and you got to be really careful with the way you word things because you have to give the game story but at the same time you don't want to blame a kid so how was it kind of covering it in a Bigger area, like, uh, cause you were doing it in Knoxville? Yeah. Yeah. So, how, how was it? Did you kind of have to fight the same thing, you know, angry parents saying that you talked bad about their kid <laughs> and things like that? Or was it because it's a bigger area and you're covering more than just one team at a time? Was it a little different?
0: Uh, yeah, it's a little different. I mean, obviously, it's, you know, a bigger city. So, there are more teams to cover, uh, more players. And, you know, weirdly enough, we don't have, And we obviously have parents who will call and complain and say, "Hey, you know, I, I didn't think I I didn't like what you said about him or her." But really, most of the time, we have a lot of people complain saying that we cover uh, the other team too much, or we cover one team more than the other team, and that's not fair. You know, we're all Knox County schools.
1: Oh, I get I get that all the time too, but because we only cover one school, we cover all of the sports. So like in the su- in the spring especially, which is like the last semester that we just had, we had baseball, softball, girls tennis, boys and girls golf, track and field, and we had trap shooting. And every week you have somebody calling and saying like I really feel like the track team isn't getting enough coverage or I feel like the softball team isn't getting enough coverage. And it's just funny because well, if everybody's calling and saying that their team isn't getting enough coverage, then I guess everybody's getting a fair amount of coverage. <laughs> but, like, it's so hard to tell the, like people, like, look, lady, your team was on the road three times last week and the tennis team was at home five times last week. We obviously wrote a little more about the tennis team because we don't cover road games either because we, we're a really small newspaper and we can't go out and drive especially in minnesota because you know where you are all the schools are kind of close together kind of like it was yeah. in south florida where we grew up but in minnesota towns are so spread apart that in st james the closest school to them is like a 15 minute drive and then if you are going the closest to that it's like a 45 minute drive and sometimes they have road trips that are an hour and a half away and it'll be a conference game it's just like that's what happens because you don't have that many schools around in the area they're all isolated so, it's interesting. We don't actually cover road games and whenever you have a road game or a team that's on the road for a while, it, they'll have you can they could have five games so if they're on the road, you might be lucky to get 300 words out of it where if there's a team that played one game that week but it was a home game, you could write 6 or 700 words. So,
0: it's kind of just an interesting. Yeah, I once made a 75-minute drive to cover a uh one of our county's uh teams on the road. So,
1: yeah, that's brutal. Do you find yourself rooting for the Mets now that you cover them and kind of feel like almost like a Mets fan? Uh,
0: I wouldn't say rooting for them. I mean, obviously, because it's a one summer thing, it's a one season thing. You know, inside, I want them to do well, just because I want to be here as long as possible. So it's for selfish reasons. Um, (laughs) You know, I want to cover a playoff game. I want to, I want to cover the World Series. I think that's uh, something that everybody dreams of. So for personal reasons, yeah, I want the Mets to play well, but uh, I wouldn't say rooting. Um, I don't care if they win or lose. In all honesty, um, the way I've always the way I've always seen journalism as is, you can like a team as much as you want, but when you cover them for an extended period of time, they they wear on you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, growing up, I loved Tennessee, and covering Tennessee teams for four years. I'm always more inclined now to make fun of Tennessee and poke at Tennessee and their failures more so than uh, cheer on their successes. I think that's, you know, kind of the way the industry kind of jades you even currently I've only been, you know, in New York for a month now, but I make a lot of jokes about how bad that offense is. A lot of jokes. Um, just cause I think it, one, it makes the job more fun when you can, uh, when you can do things like that. And there are reasons to laugh and, um, you know not mean any harm by it but you know just laugh and kind of enjoy yourself while you're doing it mm-hmm. um i think there are a lot of people who take their jobs way too seriously and journalism is not one of those industries where it helps to do that so yeah i mean i think it's always fun to poke fun at the team you're covering again i want to i want to cover a world series <laughs> so if they could, if they could get there that'd be great doesn't look like it but uh
1: be fun what do you think today you wrote a story kind of about the the Mets offense you went you did a little bit of research on uh the Mets struggles because they haven't scored a run in about 12 days (laughs)
0: Uh, yeah I don't know about that uh yeah but I did a I did a real deep delve into uh the Mets offense today I would say that yeah
1: what what were your kind of findings overall
0: (laughs) are there any answers Um, As of right now, there isn't an answer. Um, I found it really interesting, though, because they're a team that is so predicated on power. Uh, 53% of their runs have come via home runs, and almost 40% of their hits are extra bases, Mm -hmm. which I find just staggering. That you could be so good at hitting the ball for extra bases and yet be so bad at scoring runs. Since May 1st, they're second-to-last in runs per game. They have a uh, top-five strikeout rate in baseball. They hit 210 with runners in scoring position, which is almost 20 points lower than any other team in baseball. Gosh, that's brutal. It's fascinating that a team could have so many power guys and yet and they just so ne- Like all the runs
1: happen to come when
0: nobody's on base? Yeah. I, it, it's, it's almost as if they don't hit a two, three-run home run that you almost don't think they have a chance of winning, which is obviously a terrible way to play baseball.
1: They obviously added James Loney a few weeks ago to try to add a little Mm bit of offense once Lucas Duda got uh, hurt. And I know coming into the season, their outfield was kind of seen almost as a strength. Like, they had too many players. Everybody in the the spring was saying, like, what are they going to do with their four outfielders? Because you have Ligaris, you have to play him because he plays great defense. And you have Cespedes because yep. you have to play him because he's good on offense and he, you know, brought you to the playoffs in the World Series last year. But mm-hmm. you got to play Conforto because he's young and he's talented and he really showed stuff down the stretch. And then they also had Diaz uh, and they had, uh, who else do they Granderson. have? Granderson. Granderson, who you're paying a lot of money to and really proved himself last season after coming off kind of a bad season this first year. Uh, and now that kind of seems like one of their biggest holes is
0: their uh, outfield. They have so many holes, <laughs> uh, not just their outfield. I mean, when you lose a team captain like David Wright to injury, you lose Lucas Duda to injury, uh, you lose your catcher to injury. Um, you know, Neil Walker was hurt for a while. Wilmer Flores was hurt for a while. They've just been plagued by injuries. Um and then you add on the fact what Paul Mogaris is hurt now with a partially torn ligament in his thumb. Cespedes has all but stopped hitting home runs. Like, he led the lead, he led the majors with 15, and now he has 17 or something like that now. Um, he's not hitting the ball deep anymore. Michael Conforto isn't hitting the ball at all. Uh, and that's has- shocking
1: because I, I thought coming into the season that Conforto was great, and he had a good month in there that he really did all he could on offense, and it was he looked like a real special player. Yes.
0: In April, he batted 365. He had 27 hits in April. In the two months since, he has 21 hits, and he's hitting 157. Gosh. And, I, don't, I mean, I don't know what the answer is. I think at this rate, you almost have to send him down just because he didn't have any confidence. He can say he has all the confidence he has, but he hasn't hit the ball in two months. So there's no reason to believe him. And, you know, Curtis Granderson is what Curtis Granderson is. He runs into a few, you know, he's a pretty professional hitter. He's not going to give you a high average, but he's going to do everything he can to try and, you know, be a good leadoff hitter. I have no problems with Curtis being there. And he, um, he's
1: got to be probably one of the I think he's probably one of the most experienced guys that they have in that team because there is, are a lot he of He is their most experienced there. team.
0: Yeah. He's their most experienced player with David Wright being out. Yeah. Um, so, and Deaza, I mean, I don't know about DeAza. <laughs> He's interesting, uh, but he can hit, but they just don't have any place to put him. and um, They have a lot of things that they have to figure out in a very short amount of time because the Nationals don't look like they're going to lose any games anytime soon.
1: The, when you look at the injuries the Mets have had this season, it's kind of reminiscent to what happened to the Nationals last year. where the Nationals yeah. came in as kind of the favorites to win the division because of their success the year before, and they had a superstar rotation after they signed Max Scherzer to that big contract. So they had Scherzer and Jordan Zimmerman and uh, Strausberg, And then Tanner Roark was coming off a great year. And Doug Fister was coming off a great year. And it all kind of collapsed on them. Uh, you had Ryan Zimmerman and Jason Wirth getting hurt a, a bunch of times. You had uh, Ian Desmond playing bad defense all of a sudden for the first time in a while at shortstop. And it's kind of similar to what happened to the Mets this year, where they had, they came into the season with this great rotation of uh, starting pitchers who, for the most part, played well, but not exactly to the expectations. And they came in with a really solid starting eight guys on the roster, but when once you look at their depth, they really didn't have much behind them.
0: In all honesty, I don't even know how much these injuries play a part in all of this offensive struggle because David Wright is not the same player he was in 2008. 2011. He's not that guy anymore. Now, he's a 250 hitter with serviceable pop, but that's about it. And Lucas Duda, he's another guy who would probably maybe add to the problem right now is a guy who hits a lot of home runs but strikes out a lot. Doesn't really draw blocks. Yeah, I mean, look, I think you can say everything you want about the Mets, but my biggest thing that I've been thinking and saying is they are, you know, they're six games behind the Nationals now. And you know, I, I obviously, think today
1: for the first time they were behind the Marlins, right?
0: Yes, today for the first time they're so they're sitting third place in the National League East. But even with that said, over the last month, all of June, they have played almost as bad as baseball as you could hope. Uh, none of their their starters haven't been great, except for Syndergaard and Cologne, um, <laughs> and their hitting has been atrocious. And yet they're only a game out of the wild card. And so they can't – this is rock bottom. I, I, I firmly believe this is rock bottom. They can't get any worse. So even in this current situation they're in where they're looking to heaven for answers, they're still in a pretty good space because they only have somewhere, only have up to go here. Do you see them making
1: any moves in the coming weeks? Uh, I know we're still a month away from the trade deadline, so that's not necessarily on the radar. But do you see it, whether it's a free agent signing or calling – maybe promoting a prospect or – dealing a prospect for somebody that might be on the market?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, they're going to do something. They're not going to sit here and be this pedantic offense. Um, so whether it's calling up Brandon Nimmo from AAA, their number four prospect, there are rumors now that they're at least interested in uh, signing Jose Reyes, who is just designated for assignment by the Rockies.
1: Which brings you up know. a whole lot of personal problems, but... At the same time, he was a really solid player for them for years before he uh, got his contract for the Marlins. So a reunion might make a little bit of sense, at least bring in a familiar face.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and then, you know, obviously they could always, you know, if they don't go either of those two routes, you could always, they still have a pretty decent farm system to where they could go trade for a big bat. So, yeah, I anticipate they do something. Obviously, a month removed from the trade deadline, um... Who knows what they do, but they'll do something. Do you have sources? Like, (laughs) as a beat
1: writer, are there people that, like, will text you and be like, hey, Troy, hot news off the presses, so-and-so said such-and-such?
0: Not so much here in New York. (laughs) uh, Not so much in Tampa either. Um, You know, I had a few guys in Tennessee that I could text for information if I really needed it, Um, but no, like, huge source that would, like, help me unravel anything too tremendous. Um, I feel like I'm kind of young for that, and I haven't... I feel like those... In, in all honesty, those things take years and years to develop, and, I mean, I've only been doing this for four years, and I've kind of bounced around from place to place, so... Obviously, I'd love to have a great source. If anybody in the uh, New York area wants to be my source, um, just hit me up, but um, it like, is what it is. How...
1: How much earlier than,
0: like, the general public did you learn about something like the James Loney trade? Oh, well, see, the good thing about the Mets is, like, the good thing about Major League Baseball is, is that, like, you did, like, if the news at all, if news happens at all, like, it's public almost immediately after somebody claims they broke it. So, like, the person who I work with, um, I consider my boss, um... Anthony DeComo, he broke the Loney trade maybe you know, 15 minutes before the Mets tweeted it. Mm-hmm. So in, in a big league like that, there's nothing that's really you know hidden all that long. Who are some of
1: your favorite follows on Twitter kind of for uh, learning about baseball? Like are there essential guys in the media or maybe team accounts or something like that that you feel really uh, mm-hmm. that you always kind of look to to get some information or that you
0: trust more than others? Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm still kind of developing that uh, that that kind of portfolio for my own Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. There are guys that I find entertaining that talk about baseball, like uh, like my boss Anthony DiComo. He uh, he's really entertaining, and I enjoy following him. Um, the one guy that I do know that I you know has a lot of good information is uh, Darren Wilman mm-hmm. for uh, he does Baseball Savant and uh, Statcast. Frameoby.com. It's a very,
1: is... very good resource for anybody who doesn't use it. He, have, he has some really great data over there, and it's kind yeah. of intricate and not. It's not for everybody, but it, I mean, it's like it's I, almost. It's almost over the top. Yeah, absolutely. But there's just like some some things on there are pretty simple. But I remember I think three or four years ago I found his website because I was trying to find statistics for every for batting orders. So like what like the guy batting like league wide with the guy batting first, batting second, batting third, kind of how many runs they've driven mm-hmm. on average for each team. And he, I looked it up, and after searching Google for a while, I found it on his website.
0: And there's just a lot of cool stuff on there. Yeah, I mean, if you love baseball and you're you know intrigued by numbers, it's a it's all of that. You know, is so interesting. And you know, I personally, I love the uh, inundation of stat cast that Major League Baseball is doing right now um, to me I think it makes baseball so much more entertaining to just see how hard somebody hit a ball and how fast it was going off the bat or uh, you know how far a ball traveled immediately to know what that is um, that, that makes the game so much more fun for me personally how often do you
1: interact with people on Twitter, like kind of your followers or people in the new in the New York area that they'll see that you tweeted something about the game or that like, you know, somebody hit a home run or something like and they give a response. How frequently do you kind of have the opportunity to interact with them? Or do you try not to?
0: No, I mean, um now I'm a i am I feel like I'm at a point now where, you know, I basically just have about thousand one hundred Twitter followers, so I don't have this huge following and because of that, um, you know I embrace the people you know who want to talk to me. If you, know, you have a really good question, or if you're just you know you want to learn something, or you want to know what's up, I'll, I'll always answer. Um, I am I'm always willing to talk to people. Um, sometimes I there's certain people that have all I've already gotten into serious like several tweet conversations with while I've been here. Um, I think it's fun, um, and I'm always willing to you know help people understand what's happening and um you know i like talking to people about baseball and so twitter's just another way to do that
1: i think out of our friends you were the first person to really be into
0: twitter uh if i remember right yeah <laughs> i've always been really big into twitter i love its uh concept and everything about it i remember back in the day when
1: i had my flip phone and i didn't have a wireless plan i would always get the Tweets from like three or four people texted to me, and you were one of them. So every time you tweeted, I got random texts. I think it was you, Adam Schefter, and like maybe like another ESPN account or something
0: like that. It's good stuff. Yeah, it was good it. Stuff. those were uh, early teenage day Troys though.
1: Yeah, I think <laughs> I think that was still me in high school. I think I was still eighteen, and you must so you must have been like a freshman.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So is there anything else you want to talk about or that you could think of that uh, makes your job interesting or maybe something that you're kind of looking forward to in the uh, the remainder of the summer that you're hoping that you could either do or uh, accomplish?
0: No. I mean, the only thing I'm really excited for is nothing to do with baseball. Uh, Drake's playing at Madison Square Garden at the end of July. Oh, um, Yeah, I'm just trying to find a way to uh, – just trying to waiting for tickets to kind of hopefully die down and drop a little bit, but I'm – I'm definitely going to go see Drake at Madison Square Garden. You can't uh, can't get much better than that, and that's great. You have to look up and see if uh, Chance
1: the Rapper is coming to New York because I saw him over the weekend. He's pretty phenomenal live. He's really, yeah. really fun.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I've been kind of just kind of trying to keep up with everybody who's coming. Um, like, I want to go see Drake. Um, there are a few other guys that I've kind of looked at and considered, but I'm um,
1: what have you been listening to lately, uh, music wise?
0: <laughs> uh, coloring book, Chance the Rapper um, has been kind of what's been playing on repeat lately. But um, Views um, to me is one of uh, Drake's, you know, best works. Um, and really, for like the last year, I've just been on a huge weekend kick. Like, if the weekend's on the song. I'm probably going to listen to this only three or four times a day. Um, That that guy's magical. He's magic.
1: Uh, Until Frank Ocean comes out of the sea and reemerges. I I honestly don't know who I like more. I I like Frank Ocean more. I always feel like The Weeknd's kind of like the tame, watered-down version of Frank. But at the same time, The Weeknd produces so much more music, it's hard to uh, wait for Frank to come back. Do you want to tell people uh, once again where they could
0: follow you online? Yeah, um Twitter, uh you can follow me uh at Troy Provost, uh T R O Y underscore P R O V O S T. I know you don't like underscores, Nick, but No,
1: um, I hate underscores, they're the worst. It work. it works
0: for my Twitter, so um <laughs> you can get over.
1: Was it. Troy Provost without the underscore not available? No, it was. And why didn't you take that?
0: I like the underscore. Oh god. What's wrong with the underscore?
1: It's it's annoying to type, and you have to hold shift down, and you don't really know what's going on. And if you tell like an old person that you have an underscore in your Twitter handle, and they somehow are on Twitter, they don't know what an underscore is. And it's wordy when you're saying it because you say Troy underscore Provost, and it's mm. like, oh, like just say it's Troy. Like mine's Nick Sakali, It's one word.
0: Yeah, but Troy. But see, the great thing about Twitter is it has a responsive search. You just type in Troy, my name pops up. You don't even need to get to the underscore.
1: Yeah, that's true. Speaking of which, I did change the Fresh Out the Deli Twitter to Out the Deli instead of Fresh Out the D. I'm very excited you did that. Did, Did you not follow us just because of the name? I think I just forgot, in all honesty. Well, now I think you're follower number eight. On our Twitter account,
0: yeah, we're, we're, yeah you got to start somewhere. We're going to build. We're going to build. I'm excited. I'm excited to be part of the team and uh, to to get this thing on rolling.
1: Yeah, whenever you want to write, just send something. Even if it's something short, it doesn't have
0: to be that long. I I've been meaning to do it for so long, and I I would think of things like I have like a list in my phone of just like things I want to write. And see, the thing is like. I write so much sports that, like, when I write something other than that, like, when I'm not working, I just don't want to write sports. Uh-huh. I feel like it kind of burns me out. Um, See,
1: that's why but... I, that's why I, I like my blog, because in my normal job, I'm doing so much little stuff in town, like covering, like, small events or, like, city politics or, like, somebody's birthday or something like that, that I don't have the opportunity to – even if I'm writing about high school sports, I don't have the opportunity frequently to write about professional stuff or – music and things like that. So that's why I, I kind of made the blog.
0: Yeah. Like if I'm not at work, like I have to be like really interested in something to write sports just cause like it has to be driven. And like, I, when I'm writing away from work, I want to like, I want it to be like super creative. I want it to be thoughtful. Um, I want it to be thought provoking and stuff like that. Um, and so like when I've been thinking of WWE stuff, like I have a list on my phone of like things that I've wanted to write. Um, and I just like, haven't gotten like a creative kick from any of them. And then when Ambrose won that title last night, I was like, oh man, you know, I have to, I have to do something. And I, I stayed up for like an hour and a half before I went to bed just thinking of ways to put it into words, but I'm excited. Um, you know, I have a few other things that I'm thinking about. Um, so we'll see. All right. sounds
1: good. Well, anytime you want to be on the podcast, let me know. Well, we'll, I've got this recording stuff figured out and set up (laughs) finally. So I I think it should uh, definitely work out to everybody out there. uh, Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the interview. And uh, I'm also in the process of getting our podcast on iTunes. So when that happens, I'll tweet it out. And uh, I hope everybody that listens can subscribe. I'm uh, really happy. I looked and SoundCloud kind of tells you how many times people have listened or clicked your thing. And I think the first podcast that we posted, which uh, the second one is much, much better. And I think these two last ones we've done are going to be a lot better also. Um, But that first one we listened to, I think 45 or 50 people had already listened to it. So I was just really, really happy. I don't know how many times that's Freeman just keeping it on repeat (laughs) to get the counting numbers up. But I would have been happy with 20 people or five people even, if, like, just all of our friends listen. So I'm yeah. really, really thrilled that somehow <laughs> more than, like, the people I know or that I've been told <laughs> about have listened to it. So hopefully the, sec- the, the last few have been uh, good and good enough for you guys to stay with us, and hopefully we can get some more guests like Troy. I think I'm going to have Brian talk about his job uh, doing analytics a little later on in the month. I'm very excited about that one. All right. All right. Thanks Troy.
0: appreciate it. Anytime.
1: It was a dream. You cannot mess with the B. This is like this many rings. You know who me. This for the kids and the king of all kings. This is the only thing. This is the beat that play none of the world. This is the sheep that they like with it hurt. This is officially first. This is the third. This is a